1: Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod50 for 50% off.
2: Today on Outside In, compromise. Here's reporter Will Huntsbury.
3: Long before Wallace J. Nichols was a famous sea turtle researcher, and long before he'd ever heard of the Baja Peninsula, he was just like any other kid who loved nature.
4: Well, kinda. As a kid, I had a particular affinity for turtles. For uh, catching them, uh, as a kid, we used to catch them and paint numbers on their shells. And uh, you'd paint numbers on their shells with what paint? We <laughs> just first put paint uh, on their shells, and uh, so you'd number them. You throw them back, and then sometimes you'd recapture a turtle that had already been painted, and that was pretty exciting. His
3: name is Wallace, but people call him Jay, and he grew up on the Chesapeake Bay. The turtles were a mystery to him. Where'd they go when the hump of their shells disappear beneath the muddy water? Once their eggs hatched, did the turtles ever see their parents again? Jay's got an interesting theory about this strange attraction to turtles.
4: Well, I, I mean, without going too, too into it, I, as, I was adopted as a kid, and uh, parental care in turtles is minimal. They're literally left to the beach and then left to the ocean. They're adopted by by sand and water.
3: So it may sound like we're about to get into some kind of Jungian psychology lesson here, but I promise I'm not going to do that to you. But I do need you to know how much Jay loves turtles for this story to make sense. How much he identifies with them. Because in order to save them, He had to do some things that, to him anyway,
4: felt totally unthinkable. The fisherman said, uh, oh, you want me to kill the turtle for you? And I said, no.
2: This is Outside In, a show about the natural world and how we use it Today we've got the story of one of those scientists who devotes his whole life to preserving a species, trying to pull a population out of a nosedive. You might even say he's the kind of environmentalist that people sometimes roll their eyes about because he cares so much about turtles that it might seem that he cares more about them than about people. But as you'll see, there's a whole lot more to his story than that.
3: In fact, Jay does stuff that many of his peers in academia would never consider because the turtles meant more to him than keeping his own hands clean. And in the end, that may have been why he could make progress when others thought it wasn't possible.
2: But to see how Jay did this, Will is going to take you back to the beginning of that story,
4: which really starts. In grad school, uh, I had hair down in my ass, basically, and I lived in the teepee uh, at the edge of what is now a national park. This was Jay in his
3: 20s. It was basically the suburban kid becomes hippie thing.
4: You know, I wasn't a hermit, necessarily, but my parents were worried. In this coming-of-age state, Jay met
3: someone who would change his life.
5: So it was 1991 or two.
3: Jeff Simonoff.
5: We became friends immediately, both uh, in the same Department of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology at the University of Arizona, U of A, we call it.
3: Not just regular friends, either. They were always together, and people, like, couldn't tell them apart. In fact, you might have a hard time telling their voices apart in this story.
5: And I've been called Jay a million times, and he's been called Jeff a million times, and we are completely interchangeable, you know. And
3: So Jeff, us, the, the new friend, he's discovered the wonders of this place called the Baja Peninsula. It's
5: amazingly beautiful. It's in Mexico, just a couple of hours away from Tucson. We took down um, my 1975 Toyota Land Cruiser and went down to a beach called Venecia and
4: proceeded to drink a lot of tequila and beer. And over... Some tequila around the bonfire. We uh, got talking about our shared
3: affinity for turtles. So Jay and Jeff are broing out over their love of sea turtles, as you do, and they realized they had both worked on the same turtle nesting beach in Costa Rica at different times. It gave the whole night a kind of synchronicity feel.
5: And so we um. We were talking and a couple more shots of tequila. Wouldn't it be cool to go visit some nesting beaches in Mexico, you know, to just continue this sort of venture of of looking at turtles? And then that preceded probably another couple of shots of tequila. Wouldn't it be cool to go visit all the nesting beaches of Mexico? Yes, they thought
3: that would be cool. And so, as people sometimes do, they made a drunk pact. And even the next morning, facing a blistering hangover in the blistering sun, they stuck to their promise.
5: Which was just a preposterous idea. Nobody had ever done it, let alone a gringo that our Spanish at the time was pretty poor, not even remotely conversational.
3: This wasn't really a science trip, even though it had to do with turtles. It was more like a college road trip planned by two biology nerds. Sometimes there were more bonfires and more tequila. Others, they'd find themselves as unwelcome strangers in a foreign land. One night, they found a beach campsite super late on the Yucatan Peninsula. No one was around. But the next morning, they wake up and people in uniforms are banging on their window.
5: And they just open the riot act at us and shouting at us and like spit in our face almost. They were on top of us, what are you doing in this private property, blah, 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 blah. It
3: was the conservation authorities. Jeff and Jake finally managed to talk their way out of it but they realized they were
5: outsiders and they couldn't just roll up like that. Slowly but surely, we started to, you know, be accustomed to the culture and really change the way that we would approach situations and got to be accepted much more frequently at these beaches upon the first interaction versus them being a little bit suspect about us. They
3: learned the rhythm of life in Mexico, about having downtime with people and not taking life too seriously. They spent entire nights working on beaches with Mexican volunteers, guarding turtle nests, and they took part in this tradition of drinking coffee and eating Gamesa
5: cookies. And those are like the small nuances of life of just sitting around a fire, eating cookies, getting ready to go on the beach, and it just sort of it transformed our souls.
3: Mexico was changing them more than they'd ever change Mexico. Even though they weren't fully fledged biologists, Jeff and Jay saw stuff on this trip that disturbed them. Turtles were disappearing. On the west coast, they saw beaches where turtles had almost completely stopped laying eggs. And at their last stop in Baja, they talked to locals who said turtles were almost becoming
4: impossible to find. They were once so abundant in the region, they were kind of like uh, the bison on the plains of North America. They were easy to find, easy. You could literally walk into the ocean and catch them with your hands.
3: But not anymore. Commercial fishing throughout the 60s, 70s, and 80s had destroyed the population.
4: By the time he got to 1990, uh, there was an official response which declared a ban on all sea turtle hunting.
3: But that fishing ban by the Mexican government wasn't working. And that's because eating turtle had been part of the culture for centuries. So overnight, locals went from being fishermen to being poachers trading on a black market.
5: Illegal harvest for meat, harvest for leather, poaching of eggs as a, for subsistence living on the very rural coast of southern Mexico.
3: And you can't just blame this on poor people in fishing villages. The turtle was a potent symbol of rural life
4: from fishermen who fed their families with it right up to the most powerful. People in power regularly ate sea turtles at public events, uh, whether it was, you know, a chief of police or a governor or it was something that people... People did with impunity as a, an expression of power, machismo. Jeff used to walk around little fishing
3: villages and smell it cooking all the time.
5: To go in and to be a, an armchair conservationist and say you can't eat any more turtle, it literally, it's not an exaggeration. It would have been no different than somebody going into any any place in the United States and saying you cannot eat hamburgers anymore. It's illegal. Same thing.
3: Better yet, it might be like the settlers telling Native Americans they couldn't eat buffalo. Jeff and Jay didn't want to be those guys. Whether the two of them realized it or not, there's a long, questionable history of Western environmentalists coming into the developing world and telling people what to do. There's a big Pandora's box of stories here, but let's just say that often decisions about how to save this or that species have been made by outsiders and imposed on locals who didn't have any input. You might call it conservation colonialism. But if these two middle-class white guys wanted to save turtles and not be colonialists about it, they'd have to find a way to connect with the Mexican fishermen who were hunting and eating the species they wanted to save. This is Juan de la Cruz, the first fisherman Jeff and Jay met. He's got no phone, but I managed to find him by asking around in his small village of Huncalito. It's 700 miles south of the U.S. border, on the lower half of the Baja Peninsula. And how many years were you a fisherman, Juan?
6: Dice que más o menos empezó y cuándo dejó de pescar.
3: Como 16
6: años. Juan started fishing in
3: 1959. He's short and weathered and has a kind of
4: roguish glint in his eyes that we should all want when we're old. He is the best turtle hunter I've ever known. I would say caught more turtles in his life than anybody I've ever met. You could be out on the water in the middle of the night. It could be completely fogged in so you can't even see the stars. And you could say, Juan, uh, which way is home? And he would point at home. I couldn't do that. Jeff and
3: Jay needed this guy's help bad, but the fishermen are not a community known for taking well to outsiders. Because the
6: fishermen, uh, they are very, sometimes they are very, uh, how do you say, like close-minded.
3: At this point, the turtle populations were doing so badly Nobody would help Jeff and Jay save turtles because it wasn't clear there were any left to save. So before they could do anything, they needed to catch one to prove the fight wasn't hopeless. And the person they needed most was a turtle hunter, like Juan. And
6: he say, no, 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 thank you. And they say, we we will pay you. But he say,
3: no. Since the ban, Juan only caught turtle to feed his family.
6: I don't want to do it, but not for you and not to get money from that, you know? No, no, no,
3: simplemente.
4: He said, you can't go catch turtles. It's illegal. And I said, right, right, but we need to try. Getting their research started like this was very
3: illegal, but they had to do it. They just kept coming back and asking Juan every day. Using those lessons they'd learned hanging out, drinking coffee and eating cookies.
5: Getting to know him a little bit more, drinking a couple of beers, some coffee, spending the night there, meeting his wife and his daughter, and cultivating some trust.
3: Juan finally relented. I'm
6: afraid if and if you go to the to the jail, I'm gonna go with you and I'm gonna kill you. And Jay say, Yeah, 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 don't worry, it's okay, it's okay. <laughs>
3: Juan pulled his turtle nets out of hiding. He was putting himself at risk to help a couple of young white biologists who were breaking the law for science and conservation.
5: I remember this day they are sort of under this um, corrugated steel sheet of, uh, you know, roofing, and he pulled them out and everything. He was looking over his shoulder, just wondering if some law enforcement person is going to pop out of the bushes
4: or whatever. They went out after dark and set their nets. The ocean is bioluminescent, uh, the stars are beyond any number of stars you've ever seen in the sky. After a while, Jay hears something in the water. It's
3: got to be a turtle, he thinks. It's a tortuga. It's a tortuga. It's a tortuga.
6: And Juan says, oh, no, 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 it no, should no, be a sea lion or no, something no, like that. And Jay said, no, no,
5: no, it's a turtle.
4: They check, and sure enough. There it is. You know, it's a big, beautiful animal. So
5: want to see a picture of it? Totally. <laughs> I think I have one right here. Let's see.
3: Jeff is standing on Juan's boat. He's young and scraggly, holding a turtle in front of him almost half his size.
5: And Jay took that photo, and uh, that's without a doubt the most important turtle that I've ever caught in my life.
3: For Jay, catching that one turtle was all the evidence he'd need to help
4: keep him going in Baja. It was just uh, an indication that, well, there was at least one turtle left, (laughs) and uh we we built our case on literally on that turtle and on Juan's um, trust.
3: Alliances like Juan and Jay's are rare in the conservation world, and they definitely were in the '90s. To most people, Juan was a poacher. Conservationists like Jeff and Jay would be the first to condemn him, and then. Look at it from Juan's perspective. Why should he trust a middle-class white kid who just flew in from Arizona and starts telling people it's bad to put food on the table for their families? Juan caught that first turtle with Jeff and Jay in 1993. By 1997, things were looking up. They've captured and released more than 100 turtles in Baja. They've got some decent funding. They've got the right permits. They've even put a satellite tracker on a turtle's back and tracked its route from Baja to Japan, something that had never been done before.
5: You can know conceptually that an animal goes from Japan to Baja, but until you actually see a real track of of a turtle, um, it's just so awe-inspiring to see something like that.
3: They're learning more and more
4: about the Baja turtles, but this research wasn't actually solving the problem. We could publish a lot of great papers and get you know grants to do it, as we studied the extinction of these animals. Jay never just wanted to study
3: turtles. He wanted to save turtles, too. And on that front, he was hitting a wall. He knew tons of fishermen from his work around the peninsula, and most of them were still
4: catching turtles to eat and sell. There were moments where I would literally be watching a turtle being chopped up while it was alive and be thinking, all right, this is part of the deal.
3: Remember Little Jay, the one tagging turtles on the Chesapeake Bay? He was
4: horrified. If if there's a live turtle in front of you um, and you're witness to the slaughter, uh, the heart will beat for quite a while. If it's put into some salt water, it may beat for 10 or 15 minutes.
3: It is notoriously gnarly. When butchering
4: a turtle, cutting off the head doesn't even do much. So the mouth is gaping and the flippers are flipping and the pieces of muscle are twitching and everything is all divided up and it's all just sort of animated. Jay would be working
3: with these fishermen and just have to watch. Sometimes he'd want to scream at these guys about how the turtles were dying and their grandkids would never see one. But that seemed wrong, even presumptuous. He knew these Mexican fishermen had been doing this their whole
4: lives and their ancestors did it too. So he held back. If somebody's killing a turtle and you run in and dive on it and punch somebody in the face and drag the turtle back to the ocean, that will be your last day in that town and probably in any town nearby. You save one turtle maybe, but you lose an entire species. Jay started wondering how he could get closer to these fishermen. I'd been asked by fishermen, have you ever tried it? And answering honestly, always said no. Um. And I could tell that the conversation didn't go where it would have gone uh, if I had said yes. To
3: the fisherman. Jay was still an outsider. He didn't eat turtle, he didn't really get them. So Jay started wondering how he could be a more effective messenger. And the only answer he could come up with, maybe he needed to eat turtle with the fisherman. The first time he ate it, it was a turtle that had been caught accidentally and would have been thrown out otherwise. He did it after that though, and it didn't get any easier.
4: Fast forward, I was in Lopez Mateos one time and I went to a house where I knew uh, a family had a sea turtle that they were saving for a family member that was coming to visit. Uh, So the fisherman's mom and on Mother's Day. Jay asked this fisherman to save him some research samples. And uh, (laughs) the fisherman said, uh, oh, you want me to kill the turtle for you? And I said, no. And then he said, oh, I'll kill the turtle for you right now. But then the next thing I knew, he had carved out the liver. The liver had gone into the pot of boiling water. The fisherman's
3: wife served it up with limes and Tabasco and put it in front of him. Just try to put yourself in Jay's shoes here. He's dedicated his life to sea turtles. He cares about them more than you care about your pet dog. This is like a vegan being presented with a plate of
4: veal. And so that was the plate of honor, was... Not only did I kill this turtle for you, and here are your research samples, but here you go. Here's the liver.
3: Eating this liver was at the core of a new philosophy forming inside Jay. He was meeting the culture and the people on their terms, rather than his own. And he knew this had potential. He just didn't know how to use it yet. Jay
2: might not have a clean conscience anymore, but he's got the beginnings of a plan. And we'll hear about that after the break.
1: Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages.
2: Welcome back. Today, we're hearing the story of Jay Nichols. He and his friend Jeff had set out to help bring sea turtles in Baja, Mexico, back from the brink of extinction. But in order to save them, he did a pretty crazy thing. He ate the turtles he was trying to save. Reporter Will Huntsbury picks up the story.
3: Eating turtle and developing strong bonds with the fishermen was a huge part of Jeff and Jay's work. But there was another really big part, money. There was one particular community in Baja called Los Angeles Bay where Jeff Simonoff was doing most of his turtle research. He was spending a lot of money in that community.
5: These guys, we hired them as guides. We hired them to build our nets. We hired um, their wives to cook food for everybody. Um, we brought our vehicles to the local mechanics shops. We bought everything locally and we were investing you know, well over $50,000 a year in that local community.
3: Dozens of volunteers were also coming to work with Jay and Jeff in L.A. Bay, and those volunteers even paid money to come in some cases. So local fishermen were starting to understand maybe there can be some money in this conservation thing.
5: It provides a non-consumptive you know, income, a a turtle-based non-consumptive income.
3: While Jeff was mostly working in this one community, Jay was working with fishermen all over the Baja Peninsula. And it was driving back and forth between these fishing communities that he had his big idea.
4: So I I heard from at least two different people that they were becoming curious about the other communities where I was working on sea turtles and wanted to know more. And could they come with me and meet some of these other people?
3: In that moment, something happened. It clicked. Jay had been unknowingly cultivating this network of fishermen. And I thought, well, that's a really good idea. Make this network
4: of turtle hunters official. Let's pick a place, pick a day, and then bring everybody together and then just share stories.
3: Jay didn't know how, but he felt like if he brought those turtle fishermen together, that might get him closer to changing their minds about catching and eating turtle. They threw together enough money for beer, tacos, and some hotel rooms for a weekend
4: and invited all the fishermen they knew. Including the biggest, most badass turtle hunters and poachers of all time. Even they were invited.
3: The meeting would have a few goals. One, get people to think about how to reduce the turtle catch. Two, begin to collect all the wisdom of the fishermen, people who actually knew where to find turtles. Juan de la Cruz was there. He says the biologists were humble, asking him questions about where to find turtles and listening to what he told them instead of assuming they knew better.
4: Your skills at hunting and catching turtles can now be put to use in a way that's not illegal. And uh, you're in charge.
3: <laughs> That's a nice and fuzzy sounding concept, especially since fishermen were considered on the low rung of society. But this get-together was actually a pretty risky gamble on Jeff and Jay's part. Even though they were elevating the fishermen's knowledge, their end game was to get these people to stop doing what they'd been doing
4: their whole lives. People were a little uneasy and, and people... We're still eating turtle and, or knew somebody who was or had a brother or an uncle who was hunting turtles. I remember uh, sort of making an announcement from the front of the room that everybody in the room under the existing law uh, was probably guilty, including me. But that's not what this meeting is about, he told them. It's about the future. Are we going to make sure that the turtle population grows rather than continues to shrink? The fact that Jay could say he'd eaten turtle,
3: that he'd been willing to partake and not just judge the culture he was trying to shift, that helped him make his case. But he also had something that a lot of foreign environmentalists don't at that meeting. Somebody local who was willing to back him up. If the
6: turtle catch keeps like this, my grandsons are not going to meet the turtles.
3: And here again, Jeff and Jay's ideas about cultural compromise came into play.
4: They didn't ask people to just stop hunting turtle. They started with a small ask. That meeting, we decided that everybody was charged with saving at least one turtle between that day and then a year later. Jeff remembers the mantra more frankly.
5: Throw one back, because if they can throw one back, if they can bring themselves to throw one back, then it may be two or maybe three. And, and at least we start the dialogue that we can get people potentially to a place of not eating turtles at all anymore. They had a philosophy. The only thing they needed was a name. They settled on Grupo
3: Tortuguero. There's not a great English translation, but it's like Turtle People Group or Turtle Hunter Group. At this point, Jeff and Jay had been visible in the community for a few years. Poachers, politicians, school kids, everyone knew about these crazy gringos trying to get people to stop eating turtle. Just having one small meeting seemed to give their cause more weight. When their cause started to get noticed, some people weren't happy about it. Jay and Jeff started getting threats. You definitely want to kind of watch your back, and the the rhetoric escalated. Some people were making big money off the turtle black market. Once, someone with serious political clout called Jay out in
4: public. Face-to-face, being told, get out, Uh, or you're going to have problems. Another threat came in a fishing shack far removed from civilization, where if someone wanted to hurt Jay, they could have done it. There was a photo pinned to the wall that was my face with a target drawn on it.
3: Those threats definitely gave Jay pause, but the meeting for the second year was already lined up. Everyone had voted unanimously at the first meeting to meet again, and things looked good right away. More people showed up this time. But the real test was whether or not anyone was actually throwing turtles back.
4: A year later, I asked,
3: okay, did anybody save a turtle? And it was dead quiet. Then one
4: fisherman stands up and said how he'd snagged a turtle in his net and then thrown it back. And then everybody applauded. And then it was just one after the other. And we started writing it on the chalkboard. And then we realized, like, wow, this is the numbers are adding up. Jay had
3: brought together this huge network of fishermen and convinced them all to try to move the needle. Even if they saw turtles first and foremost as a food source, the turtle hunters didn't want the
4: turtles to disappear. You'd say, okay, the future of sea turtles is is in your hands. What do you think should be done? Suddenly this
3: network was becoming bigger than Jay and Jeff. It was becoming something that might not even need them. could have stopped right there, with fishermen being converted to this idea of reducing the turtle catch. But this is actually where Jeff and Jay did something really interesting. They had helped start this thing, but instead of holding on to it, being in charge, they started cutting themselves out of the picture and putting research money directly into the hands of locals.
5: Let's actually start doing sea turtle research in these other communities and get the community members to actually drive their boats use their nets, catch the turtles, measure the turtles themselves, become junior biologists, become, become scientists, if you will. One of those
3: first junior scientists was Chewy Lucero, a former fisherman. He proved immediately valuable as someone who understood balancing the needs of fishermen as well as turtles. You
6: do
7: not want to affect the fishermen, but you want to protect the species. But It's, it's very difficult to get this balance because the fisherman wants to get out and take as, as many fish as they can because that's the how they live and they get the money.
3: Chuy is a man of big build who wears a white cowboy hat and a mustache. Jeff and Jay made him the field coordinator of Grupo Torteguero in the early
6: 2000s. Well,
7: you got the job because we need a fisherman that can go to the communities and talk to other fishermen and get them to trust you. and
3: And the number of communities where Grupo Tortuguero now works is huge. That first meeting just had people from about half a dozen communities. Now, GT represents around 75 places. And in all those places, you have Mexican volunteers and staff members who are carrying on the work that Jeff and Jay started. One morning, just before I left Baja, Chewie took me out to show me the work. We had driven through a few miles of desert and tumbleweed. Then we'd come to an inlet and a small fishing camp. The water was a pathway of channels through densely packed green mangrove trees on the shore. Different color in the water. They're a little more green and blue. A Little brown even somewhere. Yeah, the brown, it is very shallow. Chewie pointed out towards the middle of the channel where the water was the bluest.
6: This is the road for the
3: So that's where we put the nets, right on the turtle's road. We need to put the nets there. A blue fisherman's boat, a ponga, waited on the water for us. It was low tide, so we walked over the sand in the shallow water. They had a green turtle in the boat for us.
6: Okay, you and me, you and me stay here, we we work with the turtle. Uh, okay. They go and check the other nest.
3: We put a blue bandana over the turtle's eyes to calm it down. Green turtles like this have seen an amazing comeback under the work of Grupo Tortuguero. On some nesting beaches, the numbers have increased more than 20-fold.
6: Okay, now we need the weight.
3: Our turtle has a shell the size of a small coffee table, and we lift it up with ropes to get the weight. The sound these animals make when they breathe is amazing, like a balloon being filled. Before Chewie and I send the turtle on its way, we give it a tag, right where the flipper meets the shell. Wow, he barely moved for that. Uh, Now we just release the turtle, huh? Okay. This scene is exactly what fascinates me about Grupo Tortuguero. When I reported this story in Baja, Jeff and Jay were nowhere to be found. They both live in the States and work on different projects now. But here, they sparked off a committed local movement to saving turtle, and then they let it go. Maybe he need a help. Chewy and I stand looking at the turtle. It doesn't leave us right away. Maybe we need to help him. Should, should, we, should we help him? Chewy gives him a little kick in the butt, and then he's off there he goes his limbs had moved slow and laborious on the land but as soon as they hit the water he's off like a bullet and then he's gone
2: was produced this week by will Huntsbury with help from me sam evans brown taylor quimby molly donahue jimmy gutierrez hannah mccarthy ben henry and logan shannon special thanks to julio solis maddie plow and the folks at red travel for helping out down in baja music for this week's episode came to us from jason leonard Komiku, ari de niro blue dot sessions and broke for free our theme music is by breakmaster cylinder outside in is a production of new hampshire public radio